Hello, everyone. This is Zach with the M Weekly. I'm back. Uh, this week, I wanted to sort of talk about some of the stuff that John and I referenced uh, during our last podcast, uh, stuff that I'm hoping to bring into the new year, um, and both professionally, personally, um, and even like as a company, this is stuff that we are uh, striving for and trying to move towards. Um, so we're going to talk about <clears throat> like how you can get better at your job outside of training and exercising. Uh, I'm going to talk about communication. Uh, I'm going to talk about some of the really important things that I've learned over the last couple of years when it comes to improvement, uh, recognizing failures, uh, and then some stuff we can maybe do to just kind of be better at stuff, just being better emergency managers, better people. Um, so all that's coming up. Uh, first, let's get to our messages, uh, sponsors, whatever you want to call them. And uh, we'll be right back. How do you spell Doberman Emergency Management? EOP, OEP, HVA, HMP, Thyra, TTX, Drone, PDA. Whenever you need an expert, Doberman Emergency Management field experts are there for support. Contact an expert at DobermanEMG.com today. Instinct Ready Kits are awesome. Compact, fully loaded, and easy to place around your office, school, campus, warehouse, wherever. I keep a quick pack in my vehicle and one at home. Imagine Instinct Ready, fully loaded, stop the bleed kits in every school and office. Get Instinct Ready Kits and training at instinctready.com. Welcome back. Uh, also, really wanted to call out quickly that we have all sorts of cool emergency management um, merch now at the Readiness Lab website, www thereadinesslab.com, uh, including EM Weekly shirts, hats, uh, all sorts of really cool stuff. We've been working with designers on like all of our stuff. I'll talk about this a little bit in our when I start talking about communication stuff. But um, one of the things that I've really wanted to do is to create sort of an, a culture to emergency management, like a new, like, like, kind of get rid of, I, I love the civil defense, the vintage stuff. I literally have a, a like a vintage civil defense hat here, which I love. Um, that old school kind of stuff is, is cool for like the aesthetic. Uh, but a lot of like what emergency management, um, the bad stuff from emergency management, like we should be willing to like let that go and then like try to build the next generation of emergency managers. Um, and with that, like we didn't have, we don't have like sort of a stuff culture. Like when I was a firefighter and EMT, uh, there's like shirts, there's brands built around that, like to be proud of being an emergency manager. And we just don't have that in emergency man or sorry, as a firefighter, it was like stuff like, uh, you know, I mean, there's some like really cheesy things like I fight what you fear and smoke eater. And, um, but then there's a lot of stuff that's just like cool, like just having nice shirts that sort of like convey your profession in a way that like you can be proud of and like want to wear in public. Um, and we don't have that in emergency management at all. Like there's some really dorky stuff out there. So we're trying to change that, um, and to build, uh, like sort of just like when you're out in public. So this is one of the things that really drives me crazy. I'm going to talk about this in a couple minutes. No one knows who we are <laughs> like during a crisis you know, we'll have these windows of opportunity where we can show that we are emergency managers, but largely when we're off the clock and even when we're in the room, we don't have uniforms. Like we don't wear, uh, you know, shirts that say emergency managers. We might have the polos with the logo, which I'm wearing right now for sort of professional 
uh, settings and stuff. But like outside of that, like most people just have no idea what emergency managers do. Even in the public safety, most people have no idea what emergency managers do. Um, and so we just want to like create a way to sort of fly the flag and be proud of who we are. And, and in a way that is like reflective of like, I guess the, the upcoming generation, like certainly we want everyone to be able to rock this stuff. It looks cool. It's like nice stuff and, uh, it's comfortable. Um, but at the same time, like it's, it features modern design aesthetic. It's like, it matches sort of like stuff that you would buy from the store. So I highly recommend you check it out if you haven't, it's really cool. Um, we're going to continue to add stuff to that. We're going to continue to grow that. Um, and we're actually looking at like even specifically trying to highlight, uh, sections within emergency management. So if you go on there now, there's actually a, a kind of tongue in cheek logistics and planning section shirt. So you can wear those when you're at trainings and stuff where you want to have a little bit more fun. And we're going to, we're also going to try to, you know, uh, just highlight like all the different stuff that emergency managers do. Like it's not, you know, emergency management really is like a field more than a profession. So like there's just all this stuff that people don't understand about us and we want to sort of create a way for that to happen. So, uh, so yeah, go and do that. So with that said, one thing I really, 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 really want to highlight and, and empower you and encourage you to do is to get out from behind your desk this year. Um, I cannot tell you how many times, uh, over my career and even recently, I hear people say like, no one wants to do anything with emergency management or I don't have a job. Like, what do I do? Like, I just fill out paperwork all the time. Um, which some emergency managers are totally satisfied with. They just love filling out paperwork and that's great. Uh, but the training exercise, sunny day stuff that emergency managers do all great. Uh, it helps keep their communities prepared and, and all that good stuff, but it doesn't help you build yourself as an emergency manager. So I was fortunate to or unfortunate, depending on your perspective, to come into a opportunity when I first, well, early on in my emergency management career to essentially get a shop that there was a foundation there, um, but there had never been a full-time emergency manager. And when I came in, I was given the opportunity to essentially do what I wanted. I had a uh, leader and a supervisor who was like, I trust you, this is why we hired you, uh, make us better, do good things. And so I had the chance to sort of like use this as a laboratory to figure out ways to build an emergency management office and elevate it in a way that I haven't seen anywhere in my experience. And a lot of this was lessons learned. And a lot of it was actually from discussions with longtime emergency managers who've just voiced this frustration that I was like, well, what has been done to fix it? And for various reasons, you know, crappy leadership, uh, you know, lack of um, motivation, you know, they're just tired old emergency managers who didn't have it in them to, to fight the fight anymore. Um, you know, it stuff didn't change. I was young, full of, uh, you know, energy. Um, I sort of have a personality that I like, I don't know how to describe it. I don't want to say I don't care, 
but I'm willing, like, I don't have a lot of ego and stuff. So I'm willing to like try things and fail hard. Um, and I don't mind when I really screw up and get yelled at because that's a, an opportunity to learn. Uh, and so I'm willing to sort of maybe take ri more risk than, than the average person. I'm not trying to like boost my ego or anything, but I was able to basically just try stuff. And some of the things that I wanted to try was to, uh, breach the, the gap between, um, some of the organizations that we worked with and emergency management. So for instance, uh, you know, working with police, fire, and EMS, often the only time that you're interacting with them is the big one and occasionally during exercises and events. And in that case, you know, there's many times that you're, you're really not interacting at all, right? Like you're in an EOC and they're out there and maybe you have an ESF rep or a represent, you know, one of the agency reps in the EOC, um, but it's not, you don't have that sort of like ground truth and experience. And frankly, those events are just so few and far between that I was like, this is dumb. So there was two things that I sought to do early on. Uh, one was to get into all of the meetings. And I mean like literally all the meetings. Um, and there was some exclusivity that came with that uh, because I was not in a position where I was like a cabinet level you know, member. I was sort of like, under several steps of people. So for me to get into the meetings, you know, a lot of times these were leadership and like, you know, large high level uh, position uh, people. And so I wouldn't have had a invitation in the first place. And so I kind of just started showing up, right? Uh, in Vermont, there's open meeting laws. So it's actually essentially illegal to shut people out of meetings unless there's a very specific reason to do that. Uh, and especially in these like sort of, you know, policy discussions and, and sort of, uh, things that are not tactical or could cause, uh, issues, um, they can't really say no. So you just kind of show up and you sit in the back and you chime in every once in a while. Um, and I wasn't an idiot. I knew my job and, um, you know, we would talk about things like when we're building new buildings and like these developments and how maybe we could think about, you know, preparedness while we're doing this. And I'm, I'm not trying to, uh, stick, you know, my, uh, self into conversations where I don't belong, but there's, there's times where I was like, this is like, we're talking about stuff that like, we have an opportunity here to take advantage of this and to fix it. So that was one thing that I did. And so I went to a lot of public safety meetings. I went to a lot of like high level sort of like planning, uh, types of meetings. And I just showed up and people started to recognize me and I would have conversations with them afterwards where they're like, Hey, this is a, that was a really interesting conversation. Uh, John, uh, my boss now is discovering this. He's actually doing this through some like guerrilla approaches to like getting our, our, uh, parent company Doberman emergency management, um, you know, out and, and sort of meeting with folks. Um, and a lot of our recent successes has, have been from just basically like saying, what's up? Like, how you doing? I'm blah, blah, blah. And, uh, you know, I really just want to work with you guys. As you explain why you are there, especially the public safety folks, they start to like click like, oh yeah, emergency management. So like in a disaster, I would call you for this. Um, but I wanted to stay active. I did not want to just sit behind a desk all the time. So the next thing that I did is I went to my boss and I said, I need a vehicle. And he goes, uh, how come? And I'm like, well, because all of the other people that I work with have vehicles. And he goes, all right. And I was like, 
it is important for us to sort of convey this message that we are part of the team. And as stupid as it sounds, and it's, you know, it, it, there's a, there's psychology to this for sure. The fact that like when I first came in, we didn't have a logo. We didn't have uh, any sort of like branding. Um, no, there was nothing to identify me as who I was. And in fact, the first shirts that I got from the university uh, when I was working there, uh, it was like the university logo and then really small text below it, which is the same thing that everybody else had, except for our police and our EMS, which had full uniforms. And I was like, well, that's interesting. So when I would go to things, people would look at my shirt and they would think I was like part of the parking folks or part of facilities. And so I was treated in that way. And so I went to our, our communications office um, and I said, hey, I need a public safety logo. And they were like, well, we just got this branding guide. So that's the actual branding that you can have. Being the uh, enterprising individual that I was, I actually read through the entire branding guide and I figured out that they had copied the same branding guide. Well, not copied, but they had inspiration from, I think it was the University of, I think it was like USF, UCF, I forget. One of the Florida, big Florida schools. Um, and within that, they had actually created a special uh, uh, path for public safety entities to have their own uh, logos because they would do like bad, you know, badges and they would have symbols and stuff that public safety agents would have that like a normal department or division of a higher ed institution wouldn't. So I found the loophole and they're like, oh, all right, well, you, you got us there. So now we'll design one. They came up with this really cool design and I loved it. And it was very simple. It still matched all the branding and stuff, but literally overnight showing up to meetings with that shirt, there was a different sort of like, oh, there's police, there's EMS, there's fire, there's emergency management. I was part of the team right off the bat. The vehicle I designed specifically to fulfill emergency management roles um, on in the area. I, I kind of built this, it had multi-band radios, it had satellite communications, uh, it had mobile data, which was really, really important. Everybody, uh, you know, that this was probably the most sort of like capable vehicle in the, the state as far as like mobile communications goes. Um, and it was a used police car. I had to, again, enterprising individual. I found that uh, our one of our department cruisers was being uh, moved out. It still had low mileage, had plenty of life in it. Um, and so I was like, can I get that for free? And they said, no, but you can get it for really cheap. Uh, that's another thing about, uh, that's a higher ed thing that I'll, I'll never figure out is they all charge each other and sell stuff between divisions and departments. It makes no sense, but that's how it works. So I had to buy a cruiser from ourselves and I outfitted it to be essentially a mobile EOC. And the reason that I wanted to do this was the fact that like we didn't open our EOC very often. When we did, it was usually with like me and then maybe like one other person. And we were supporting the command post and everything else from the EOC. We were playing this game of telephone tag that we all do. Anyone who's in emergency management, like you get the request, you interpret the request, you carry out the request. And hopefully in that chain of communications, it has gone well. Um, but I was also a firefighter, EMT and cop for, you know, before this. And one of the things that I learned during that is like, Radios are cool, uh, telephones are cool, but like sometimes just go and talk to me. Like, you know, there was times where you're like in a structure fire 
and you're trying to explain what's going on and it's not, you know, you know, you got a, uh, um, your operations person's right there. Like you just, just go tell them, like go talk to them so that there's no room for misinterpretation um, and you can get stuff done. And so I started talking to the, you know, we would have a, an incident that would take place and we would show up and we would, you know, essentially stay out of their way, but close enough that if they needed something, um, they could ask. And lo and behold, uh, everybody loved that. They're like, this is so much easier. And they discovered like, I'm a huge resource. So a fire chief or division chief or battalion chief, whatever you want to talk about, when they're running a, a larger scene, they're responsible for so many things. And they'll hand out tasks to other, you know, firefighters and leaders. And like, you might have a unified command post uh, where you've got, you know, people sort of handing out, you know, assignments and resources. But, but ultimately they're not experts in sort of all the other stuff. They, they kind of hand that off, even when they're in charge of everything. A lot of times it gets handed off to dispatch. And so that's a lot of work for the dispatchers. They're sort of filling in. I mean, again, I did, you cannot say enough good things about dispatchers. These people deserve all the love in the world. I made sure anytime I saw free food on campus, I would run food over to our dispatchers because they were awesome. Um, and what often happened was when they needed the most stuff was also when the dispatchers were taking the most 911 calls, they're the most overwhelmed, radio traffic. So it's like they're triaging like they do uh, their requests. They're like, well, this is great. They need this, but like we're still in the emergency. I'm still getting calls that someone's injured or that like the problem is getting worse. So I would show up and kind of stay in the background. I'd be like, uh, I, you need shelters and stuff, right? Like your, you, your guys are all getting overheated cause it's really hot out and this is a prolonged incident. Do you want me to get those? And they're like, uh, yeah. Do you know how to get that? I was like, hundred percent. Let me make a phone call. Boom. Done. We've got, you know, cooling center, you know, rehab site for our, you know, the firefighters and the cops around scene. This was, this actually happened at many, many calls. And then they're like, oh, all right. So if you're here, you can do that, which means I don't have to worry about that. And then they start to like, it starts to click, like, what other stuff can you do? Well, uh, you know, the mass notification system that we have, like, I'm responsible for that. So I can on scene direct people where you need them. I, I can send out the messages uh, and they're like, oh my God, this is amazing. So we would have a situation where like, you know, some sort of infrastructure thing, like we had a lot of construction going on in our area um, and they would dig up, you know, utility uh pipes and lines and electricity, gas leaks all over the place. Uh, sometimes really significant ones. Uh, they would discover like one time they found like a, it was like a 50,000 gallon tank that still had like 20,000 gallons of, uh, I think it was number four heating oil, like just this thick sludge and stuff. So these things just happened all the time. Like, and especially, uh, any old, old cities, like as they grow, they start to dig up stuff, you know, all sorts of crazy stuff. So we were always dealing with like issues where we needed to tell people like avoid the area. Um, you know, this building's closed, here's alternative, you know, whatever, uh, all this stuff and being on scene dynamically, you know, we're like, okay, cool. Out. And it was like, oh, this is just such a relief. Like we don't have to like, you know, do anything. What we ended up doing is also then, even if we stood up the EOC, we would have an EOC manager that was uh, 
essentially assigned to run our emergency operations center once it was stood up. And I would actually remain on scene generally. Like sometimes we would switch it out with other folks or if we had enough, like sometimes our, uh, we would have enough like police leadership that like we could devote one of the, you know, or whatever, the deputy chief to essentially fulfill that role. But most of the time I would sit there with the cruiser uh, and we would all work out of that because we had a lot more resource. So the fire department would have their command post right there. I would be right next door. The cops didn't have a real command post. So they would use, you know, my vehicle and stuff for that. And it worked really, really, really well. And we built tons of relationships and we got tons and tons and tons of experience running uh, emergency management in a way that is not traditionally done. And it's, this is like a controversial thing. Like for some reason, uh, people are like, that's not the role of emergency managers. But the reality is like, we are great at project management, resource management, um, and like fitting the, square peg into the circle hole when necessary. Um, we can solve these problems that other folks, you know, can't. And, and the thing that I think is most important in this sort of uh, effort was the fact that like, I was taking a huge load off of the incident commander that otherwise decisions that they're making that could be, you know, life-saving for their crews and the people that they're assigned to um, rescue and take care of, the more bandwidth they have to focus on that problem uh, the better the outcome is going to be. So, you know, whoever the 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 chief is, the 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 incident commander for that situation, I can come in and support them in any way that they needed. That was like the other stuff. And as I needed assistance, that's when we would sort of get the EOC stood up. And it was like I understood the translation. That was the other thing. And I just, I, I feel like incident management teams are kind of what, like this is, this is essentially how an incident management team, that's actually what we modeled it off of and eventually built it into was like an incident management team. And it worked so well and it developed the program to the point where we would get requests to support other agencies outside of our area, um, you know, we would, we were helping to develop other programs. Like I would get calls from agencies all around the country that are like, can you just help me? Show me how we did that, how you did this. How did, how did you make this work? Um, and it builds legitimacy of emergency management because the only, like, it, it's, it's not a great thing, but like we, <laughs> we generally don't really trust people, uh, especially in public safety until we've been in the trenches with them. Like, Training, exercising, like you can sort of recognize that someone has uh, good knowledge, has good expertise in their profession. Um, but until you're in a situation that is really fluid, really stressful, and you don't have the safety net of a situation manual, you know, and uh, an X plan that you can lean on to like, oh, what am I supposed to, you know, what is the outcome that we're trying to get here? We don't know what the outcome is because we don't even know what the situation is. This is an evolving thing. Um, it just works so well. Now, I'm not saying let's change the entire profession, get out in the field. Uh, although I think there's many arguments to be made that we should be spending a lot more time outside than we do. Um, what I'm saying is, particularly for programs that are small and nimble. Uh, that's the other thing. I think a lot of people think small and that means under-resourced and maybe uh, you don't have capabilities that you need. 
Uh, I like to think of that as like nimble and flexible. You don't have to deal with a bunch of bureaucracy. Like if you're an office of one, you're the boss. Like you get to essentially decide what you are and aren't going to do. Um, you can build up a ton of street cred and experience um, and test things out uh, live and it works just really well. And you could do it in a very, um, I guess, less of a significant outcome environment. I, I don't know what I'm trying to say here. Basically, <laughs> if I'm capable, uh, so emergency management skill sets, right? Like it doesn't really matter what size, if it's a type one event and you've got, you know, multiple IMATs from FEMA and state incident management teams from all around the country and all these, just you have this huge infrastructure in place to respond to a catastrophe. That same skill set has to be accomplished with one or two people at the small ones. And the small ones happen all the time. And I think emergency managers don't recognize this or, or maybe they do and they just don't know how to get into it. Um, every community has uh, small disasters every single day, right? A large fire, I mean, even a, a structure fire, a house fire, let's just look at that. Um, I would help out at structure fires. At a structure fire, you've got mass care. You know, you've got to sort of figure out, you know, uh, housing and feeding. Um, you've got resource management. You can run logistics because they're going to need things like rehab and, and other support for especially long-term incidents. Um, you know, you can do uh, all of your sort of communication stuff. Like emergency managers tend to be kind of spun up on radio comms and, and mass notification. You can act as a, a PIO, like especially for smaller EM shops, the emergency manager is probably the PIO. And, um, you know, sometimes public safety folks uh, don't want to sort of deal with that. Or in the middle of a disaster, like as the thing's happening, the fire chief doesn't want to like have to turn from the command post to talk to the, you know, the reporter while they're in the middle of the thing. So like you can be that, that voice if there's not a PIO there. You know, you, there's just so many different ways you can sort of build your uh, experience and your knowledge uh, while helping out in a real emergency. And, you know, the reality is like, that's how we learn everything, right? Like if you want to be a carpenter, you don't start with building a mansion, you know, you build a, a box. I think that's probably like one of the most common things people start with, you know, you build a box uh, or a shelf, something really simple where you can get the fundamentals down, right? You can start to get familiar with the tools. And then your next evolution, maybe you build uh, a shed, you know, or an entertainment center, some cabinetry, something that's like a little bit more complex. You work your way up, you gain experience, you gain knowledge so that when it comes time to build the mansion, you have the skill set, you have the knowledge and you, you can do that. But in emergency management, it's like you go, you get your ICS training. Uh, there's really nothing that certifies you as an emergency manager. There are, there's CEM, there's, you know, other ways that you can sort of, you know, certify yourself. But, um, you know, it's not like firefighting and, and EMS and police where you have to, you know, either go through an academy and, and you're like, you are now blessed to be that role. Emergency manager, like, <laughs> I think a lot of emergency managers missed the meeting where <laughs> they were assigning emergency managers and they're like, you're responsible for this now. Um, and so you need to sort of be able to build that experience in a way that, uh, you know, you can grow and get better and uh, make mistakes in a much lower stake scenario than the big one. And I saw this play out so clearly when our state got hit by um, 
Tropical Storm Irene. It was Hurricane Irene as it was coming in. Uh, and we had these volunteer emergency managers who were amazing people, like truly devoted to their communities and stuff, just absolutely fold when it came time for the real, real task of emergency management. And that's not because they were not good at what they did um, or they weren't, you know, uh, the best people on the face of the earth. It's like you can't, you can't go from the sunny day stuff where you're doing nothing but planning, you know, an occasional exercise, uh, training, and then go into the biggest catastrophe that the state has had since the 1927 floods. You just can't do that in a way. Like, I mean, there's certainly people who manage through it, but even those folks, like you're spending so much time getting your feet under you that by the time you like are now spun up and ready, uh, the damage has been done. So what I'm trying to say, long story short, TLDR, um, you need to go and do the job. And in order to do that, you have to create opportunity for you because we are a profession that is misunderstood uh, at best and um, completely ignored at worst. Um, and in fact, like it is up to us to tell our story and build our, our case. So with that, now I'm going to get into the next thing that we have to really, really think about, and that is communication. So not communication in the sense of like, what's the number one bullet on every AAR comms, right? Not that communication, although to a degree, uh, what I'm talking about is just like us, our image, our message, our voice, emergency managers have to be like almost more than any other skill set. You have to be good at communicating. You have to essentially, especially if you aren't the one who's going out and sort of getting that boots on the ground experience, if you want to be invited to that party at some point for the big one, you have to convey that you are, that you have a, you know, you're an authority on this, you're knowledgeable, uh, that you're professional. Um, and I can't tell you how many times I, I go and I meet these you know, really, really smart emergency management, you know, and disaster response folks, but everything is sloppy, right? Like all of their plans are, are just made poorly. They got tons of, uh, grammatical errors. There's the, the, like just visuals look terrible. Um, like we have to take responsibility for this. And of course, like firefighters, police, like there's a lot of bad logos and all this other stuff that exists in that world, but they have hundreds of years of, you know, uh, public trust to fall back on, even when, you know, things look terrible. We don't have that luxury into this. Like, you know, we, we, there's like these evolutions of emergency management. We're kind of in a next, the next evolution of emergency management. And I think it's really important to, convey yourself as like beyond an, a, uh, a professional, but like a true expert in your field. And one of the ways to do that, like you've probably heard the term fake it till you make it right. This is not a, uh, this is a, this is a true thing you can do. Um, in order to basically build your reputation, um, before you have an opportunity to sort of prove yourself. And that doesn't mean that you could be a um, like the best emergency manager in the world, but until you sort of have a way to portray that, uh, people are not going to trust you. 
that was the lesson I learned with just getting the shirts made and, and being very fortunate. I, I will say I was lucky that I had a little bit of a budget to buy a, a cruiser and then put my logo all over it. That immediately gives me authority. I have a vehicle that says emergency management. It has emergency lights on it. It looks like a public safety vehicle. I get out, I have, you know, quasi uniform, the standard, you know, FEMA emergency manager uniform, polo, khakis, you know, kind of the dorky, the dorky uniform. I actually really like the cargo pants, you know, it's utilitarian. Okay. I actually use the pockets. So whatever, uh, five eleven, you want to sponsor me, throw as many cargo pants my way as you can in polos. I'll wear those all day, every day. Love them. Um, but that like builds that, that sort of like, Oh, he is a member of, he's supposed to be here. There's some authority to him, you know, um, and he belongs here. All of us can do this. Like, uh, you can do it relatively cheap. So let's say you are a small town emergency manager. You're like, I can't, I don't have a budget for anything. I can barely buy printer ink. Um, but I want to be taken seriously. If you want budget, you need to be taken seriously. Uh, you need to have stuff that looks professional and you need to look like you are the next level emergency manager. Have you heard of Fiverr? Fiverr is a place you can hire essentially anyone for anything uh, to do stuff for like pretty cheap. So you can buy a logo for $5. Like they will be better than anything you can do if you don't have graphics design knowledge. You can have someone make a public safety ad for like $10, you know, a voiceover with some basic video for nothing. You can have uh, someone take your standard operating procedure, your emergency operations procedures, your EAPs, you send it to them, they'll edit it, they'll fix it for like nothing, like really, really low. Now again, you get what you pay for. The more you spend, the better the outcome's gonna be. You're gonna get much nicer logo, much nicer uh, design. Uh, and it'll start to look like you actually know what you're doing and you'll show up and, and the firefighters and the police and the EMS and the, and all the government officials will look at you and go, holy crap, like, where did this guy come from? Or this gal come from? Like, this is amazing. Uh, this, they look like they know what they're doing. Um, and it just creates an air of, you know, wow, I guess, I don't know. It's just suddenly like you, you have authority, like you just, you stick out. You've shown that you have something that no one else does. And I think this is really important in the early days of like trying to build your reputation if you're a small agency and, and build it that has even more uh, significance. But like the stuff that you produce, like if you take someone's emergency operations plan and you look at it and it looks nice. You're like, this is a good, even if you like, you don't read it, you're just like, Oh, this, this is obviously a good plan. I trust that this is like good. And that's the reality. Like most people are probably aren't going to dig into stuff as much as they should. So that visual aspect is really important. Having a website and social media and being smart on that stuff. Also really important. Um, you can hire people on Fiverr and there's other sites as well. You know, that you can do this. You could also like go to your community. If you have no budget, there's probably, uh, designer in your community who, if you reached out and said, Hey, you know, I'm responsible for your, uh, your disaster preparedness. And, and I'm, that's my role. Is there any way maybe you could volunteer and just kind of help me get squared away with this stuff? And they're going to go a hundred percent. Like I would love to be there to, to, you know, build out your, um, your imagery and your logo. Um, and as you do this, you're going to get uh, more opportunities to sort of prove your worth, right? Cause people are going to look at your stuff. They're going to think that like you are, 
you know, you're awesome and they want to show that you're awesome. So what else do you have to get really good at? That's public speaking. I cannot say this enough. You, there's, you, you can't do enough public speaking. Like you should be out in front of everything and you got to get really, really good at it. Um, I have an upcoming podcast that I'm really excited about where I talk about my experience as a stand-up comedian um, and how that completely altered my professional life. It like it was the best professional development that I have done for this field. It, it's paid more dividends than, than anything else um, because it gave me the ability to take uh, my stuff, even if it was weak, get out in front of a bunch of people. And it wasn't, I was very, very good if anyone's asking. Okay. But I've, you're not gonna be able to find anything on me. I I'm thinking about getting back into it. So maybe there'll be some new material, but, uh, take weak material, get out in front of a crowd and do your best to win them over. No matter what it is that you're saying, like your entire purpose up there is to fight that crowd until they love you. And when it doesn't go well, uh, you can adapt, right? Like you're kind of moving around, you're figuring it out, you, you're changing your, your, how you're telling the joke, you're changing how you, you know, how you're speaking, how you're, you're standing. And it just builds this muscle memory that now you can go in front of anything. I use this skill set all the time. Uh, I use it in my training. I use it in, um, uh, you know, when I'm dealing with a crisis and I have to sort of like convey some information, like, and then humor is just like the ultimate tool. Like it is, it, it can break, uh, people that <laughs> like, you know, you have these, just these stoic fire chiefs that are just, you know, gristled and, and, um, scary. And if you go in there and you bust, you, you can make them laugh. Like that's it. You've won them forever. Like that is the ultimate like leveling of the, the field, like just going in and making, making people laugh. It makes them vulnerable. Uh, and humor is also something that, um, it builds those core memories, right? Like you don't remember probably you remember two, you remember extremes. Generally, you remember like things that are really scary, things that are really serious, but things that are really funny. Those are the things that you talk about for the rest of your life. Like, do you remember that time when, what's their face did that incredibly stupid thing. Like that's what you, when you get together with your friends, you know, that you haven't seen in years and years, you just sit there and you laugh and you reflect on that. And that just, it's a core memory that's built there. So using humor to sort of like, you know, not inappropriately <laughs> that can also that can end a career very quickly, but using humor where it's appropriate, uh, and, um, just that, that skill set of like being able to dynamically move through a conversation and get people on your side. That is like, th that's emergency management one-on-one. If you could do anything else, uh, if you could do nothing else, but that you would be a successful emergency manager. Um, and the other thing that I think we, uh, so the, the example that I give is like COVID-19, we just messaging was so inconsistent there was all of this just terrible like branding of the response. Operation Warp Speed. When you're dealing with a pandemic and, and you're being told that this has never been experienced before and we don't have medicines for this and they're like, we're gonna solve this by going warp speed. You're like, well, let's actually like not do that. Like let's be thoughtful and like, what is it? You know, Operation Warp Speed, the, the, this is, I'm just gonna sort of talk about this in a branding perspective. Uh, I think they were like, this sounds cool. Warp speed's fast. Like we're getting to the problem fast. We're gonna solve this fast. Uh, but what it 
conveyed was these vaccines were made very fast and we sped through things and we didn't do things the way that we always did. And that is just not the truth. I think the reason we had such vaccine hesitancy was because people thought that uh, the president said, hey, Pfizer, Moderna, make a vaccine. We'll give you tons of money. And, uh, you know, you don't even have to do the testing. Like, we'll just ignore it. And um, that's not what actually happened. You know, the these types of vaccines, mRNA vaccines and, um, you know, the Johnson & Johnson um, uh Oh my gosh, I can't even think of the term right now for that vaccine, that type of vaccine. Uh, those That's old technology. Like the mRNA stuff has been researched for decades and decades and decades. There's been uh, just, there's piles and piles and piles of research. It just didn't have the funding it needed to get over the line. Uh, and a lot of this stuff was like stuff that had been built up over like the SARS um, crisis, the MERS crisis, which are two other similar coronaviruses that were much deadlier, but harder to spread. Um, there was a lot of research that was already in place. They just essentially needed like the green light to in the funding to get it over the line. So had they called it like operation, like we're going to save everyone. I think people would have gotten a lot more in line. Um, and then being wishy-washy, like not being like, there's a way to sort of adapt and move through a conversation where like, as you're talking through it. And of course this happened over the course of several years, things are being learned. You can convey that like, Hey, listen, like we're getting better at this. Like that's the whole point. We're not discovering new things that we didn't know about. We're actually getting better at <laughs> solving this crisis. So when we say this was the best vaccine, at the time that was the best vaccine. Um, the We know that diseases evolve. And so as the disease evolves, we are investing um, our energy and our efforts into evolving with the disease. And so that's why the next uh, you know vaccine was built this way. And then having trust, like we have a serious public trust issue in the government right now. You as a emergency manager, when you communicate, you have to kind of assume that 50% of the room thinks you're a liar and that you're making stuff up. And another probably like 10% of the room thinks you're part of the lizard people and you're getting funded by, you know, insert scary rich person uh, here. Uh, and that's that's what they're they're thinking. So- how do you overcome that? Um, being a very good message deliverer. Um, and then being empathetic. You know, appreciate that the people that you're conveying a message to have a different background. You using big words. So, so there's something I sort of like came up with the other day. I was thinking of this. Um, like expertise, we all want to be experts, right? And a sort of like under fire because we had a lot of experts during the pandemic and during um, all this civil unrest and all this other stuff. We had experts going up on screen and saying things like, just like, this is it. Like this is, you're either on my side, you know, right versus wrong, us versus them. Expertise is not using big words to show that you're intelligent and talking down to people. It is the ability to deliver information in different ways that all of your audience will be able to absorb. That's expertise. Like you want to see the smartest person in the room, have them explain quantum physics in a way that uh, you can understand it in like five sentences without using some huge terminology. Like someone who has absolutely no experience in that will, will understand the basics of it, you know, terms. That's an expert. Anyone can get up and, and basically hold a thesaurus there and 
and read big words off and, and, you know, use your acronyms. That's the, one of the things that we, we are terrible at is just constantly using acronyms. It takes a true expert to sort of break down a problem in a way that's understandable for everyone. And that I think is one of the most important things, uh, that you as a professional, um, should be able to do. So, Again, as you're conveying these messages, you're building these relationships by going out and doing this stuff. You're building your uh, your experience in public speaking. You're getting better at communicating. Uh, you're talking to people. Um, I recommend you go out, learn graphics design, learn video editing, learn audio editing. Um, build a, you almost like, I hate, oh God, I hate this term so much. You almost want to be like the influencer in your town, right? Like everyone knows what influencers are, I think at this point. And if you don't, influencers like these people that are on social media that everyone gets their advice from, right? And a lot of times they're, they're not smart people, right? Like they're just, they, they have their niche and people love them. You can be an influencer in emergency management, like that can be your niche and like your community could go to you for a lot of things. And that's what you want to be. You want to be sort of the influencer without all the like negative connotations that come along with that. Although if you want to do TikTok dances at press conferences, I think you'd probably win over a lot more people than you'd lose. Um, but yeah, you want to kind of be the influencer. You want to practice this. So one way to practice this is to do lots of public speaking. It's really, really hard and nerve wracking for the first, you know, however many times. And, and there's also like imposter syndrome you have to get over. I think that's probably my biggest thing is like, I always think I don't deserve to be somewhere. No matter what the situation is, uh, I'm like, I, why am I here? I run up against this all the time. I've really had to conquer it and just sort of like, well, people invited me or I'm getting paid to be here. So obviously I did something right. Um, you should practice however you can. Here's an opportunity to practice. We are looking for new podcasters. We want more podcasts on our, on our network. And uh, do you see that? That was what a, what a delivery, what a move from an in thing that I was talking about now into some sort of promotional thing. It's not really a promotional thing, but uh, for real, like podcasting, the reason like people are, want podcasting or want to listen to podcasts is they want to hear from, from professionals and experts and people they think are knowledgeable or people they just like, like, I hope that's why you're listening to this is you like me. Um, and if you don't, um, I, I don't care. Uh, cause, uh, there's other podcasts. Uh, no, that's not true. I want you to love me. That's part of my other fault. I want everyone to love me. And when people don't love me, uh, I perseverate on that. And now I'm using a big term, uh, cause I'm an expert on, uh, perseverating. I think it specifically means like you obsess over something negative for a long time. And I do that. So, um, I want you to like me. I want you to love me. Um, and, I'm going to do everything in my power to make you love me. But if you don't like me, perhaps you'll like somebody else in emergency management who uh, has a podcast. So we want those podcasts to join us and not just emergency management, public safety, military, uh, emergency management adjacent. Like uh, if you're into like prepping and stuff. So we have uh, Nat Sellers. He is an emergency manager, but his podcast is sort of specifically like homesteading, prepping and like, you know, being good at like being self-reliant. Also very interested in having you on our, uh, our network. Um, we have a lot of like top shows, right? Like people, uh, we, we get thousands of listens, thousands and thousands of listens. Um, and we really, really, really want to, um, grow that. We also want voices that like, we're not hearing from like people that are, you know, uh, sort of underrepresented and maybe parts of the profession that you don't hear from. We want, we want those even more so. And even more than that, we want you to be like, kind of 
good at podcasting, which is like talking, having some basic equipment. We can help you with that. Like right now we don't sort of have a a process to like set up a studio for everyone, but the entry level to podcasting is pretty low. My original setup, and I actually really enjoyed the audio quality. I had a Samsung and a little basic, and you actually don't even need an interface with that. That's right, because you could plug in the headphones into this. You need it for monitoring. Plug it into the base of the microphone, and it was USB. And then when you were able to move to the next level and you wanted to actually have a, um, you know, an interface between your computer or, or mixer board or however you want to do it, you can actually hook up an XLR to that as well. So it grew with you. Um, we want to also like get people that have lots of experience, but we can sort of train you and you don't have that. So, um, anyways, this was a lot longer than I thought it was going to. I sort of talked in circles. I hope this was valuable. Um, I, the solo episodes, like, again, the imposter syndrome, like who, who am I? Like, what, what's, what do you listen to me for? Right. But I, this is, these are things that I really learned the hard way. And I fought for this and I have heard the people who sort of followed my method. So I, I did AM probably six years, seven years ago, probably even longer than that. And this is the, this was basically the, the cusp of the discussion was, uh, get out there and do it, get out from behind the desk, get good at talking and get a car. That was the other thing. That was a very specific message, buy a car. Years later, I continue to get messages from people saying, hey, I know this is random, uh, but you gave this talk at IAM this many years ago and I just got my, I get pictures of SUVs all the time. That's what people send me. I'm like, you know what? That's way nicer than my SUV. And now I'm mad. Now I don't want you to follow me. Now I'm mad at you. Why did you get a nicer car than I had? Um, and so they have these like really, really nice vehicles and they're like, it has made uh, a huge difference. There's a, there is a perceptible difference in how people treat me. And I know it's stupid. That's not how people should be measured, but we are a capitalist society. So if you have a nice car, <laughs> people are like, that person's doing something right. Uh, and so it's just cool to like hear that this does work. So I'm, this is again, like I'm, um, my data points here are pretty subjective. Um, but from what I have experienced in my knowledge is that this is successful. This works, uh, especially in small agencies trying to build. So, uh, if you found this useful, like, let me know, um, if you think I should stop talking by myself and get more people in here. So it doesn't sound like just a crazy person ranting. Uh, please also let me know that, um, like subscribe, visit our swag store so you can fly the EM weekly flag or, or just emergency management. There's a ton of just like straight up emergency management stuff in there. Um, and we're going to be adding stuff to that all the time. Uh, there'll be funny stuff. There'll be just normal stuff. We're going to be working on some professional stuff that we think like we want, we would want, uh, in an EOC. Um, we are again, trying to build our podcast. So if you're interested in that, you can email us at contact at the or just like through the various social media platforms that we have, or just me, if you, if you're following me. Um, and I hope this helps, uh, let me know and we will Probably so. There's going to be a bunch of talks coming up. One is with uh, the people who actually I took the uh, the stand up lessons from, and then like they helped me like tour around the state for like a year or so. Um, and they're going to be on in a couple of weeks. They're actually touring the country right now, so I couldn't get them uh, now. 
uh, I'm going to be talking to some PIOs and uh, some folks that like have done this. We have some upcoming stuff that I'm really excited about that like isn't quite there. Um, and I apologize, like we're kind of all over the place. I'm, I'm a, I, like right now I'm it, I'm everything. I'm the recorder, I'm doing the video, I'm doing the streaming, I'm doing the audio stuff afterwards, the social media, on top of like my normal uh, roles here at uh, Doberman Emergency Management, the readiness lab. So I know my consistency has not been great. It will get better, I promise. Um, we are trying to like build out some uh, stuff on our end to make these a little bit more efficient and stuff. And um, so I apologize that like there there might be a week or here or there that um, I'm not there, but I promise you we're going to get better at that. And, uh, you know, if you think you have uh, something interesting uh to talk about, especially, you know, for my podcast, because selfishly, I always like, if, if I can find, if guests come to me, that makes my life a lot easier rather than me chasing down guests. Um, we want to hear from you. Uh, for instance, uh, we have a guest coming up next week. He'll be, uh, he is the, he's an event emergency manager. I'm fascinated with this. Um, he actually reached out to me when I was at New York comic-con and was like, Hey, can you come to this thing? It turns out didn't quite work out. Cause, uh, I don't know. There's all sorts of stuff, but I started talking to him. I learned a bunch about him. And then I was like, dude, I like everyone needs to hear your story. This sounds so cool. Like you have the coolest job in emergency management. So he'll be on next week. And, uh, yeah, I just want to talk to people doing the job, right? John's like the leadership and the aspirational. Like I want to talk to like the people who are in the trenches. All right. I want you people. I want your boots dirty. Um, and I like, you know, I want to talk about like controversial stuff. So I, there was a post today, uh, and I'm really pushing to get them to, um, join our, um, our podcast network, um, talking about just scummy people in the industry and what to do about them. And I think it's, it's a very important, uh, discussion to be had. I think, uh, one thing all of public safety has, like this is, I think, honestly, this is probably to me, the biggest cause of sort of the staffing crisis we have right now is scumbags. Like it's it's impossible politically and professionally to call out people like publicly um, for being terrible people. And there's a lot of terrible people that exist in this field, not a lot. But it doesn't really matter if there's a lot because one can bring down an entire agency, an entire region. Um, and this, I've, I just saw an IG report from somewhere about like an entire agency was basically like buckling because of just like a couple really, really toxic people. So I want to talk about stuff like that. Why is it that we fix these problems? Like, why are we allowing these people to like ruin a job that we love? Is there, this is like the more important conversation, I think. This is like something that I've really strived to do. Is there room to talk to these folks to try to understand their perspective and maybe give them some insight and can they evolve? Like, are we actually capable of change? This is a great question. I, the research says like, eh, maybe, maybe not. Um, Personality-wise, even if you can't evolve, you, tech, you can really uh, recognize your own uh you know, filth and, and bad stuff, all the things that like you're not proud of. And at least if you can acknowledge it, you can work on it. Um, you can stifle it. Um, because 
at the end of the day, we all have our, our biases. We all have sort of our opinions. We have our burner accounts that we vent on, right? Like we just get all this energy, the negative energy out. Um, but anyways, that was scary. Did everybody else hear that? That might've just been me. Um, but we, when it comes time to do the job, we have to be there for everyone, 100%. Like we have to be there for all of the people in our community and they can't be left wondering if we're gonna have their backs because we've got an opinion on their whatever, something in their background, who they are, uh, stuff that they can't help, stuff that like, you just, we, we can't judge people in a crisis. We have to be all in for all of our folks and so that is a discussion point I really want to have with someone. So if someone's willing to like step into the fire with me, <laughs> let's do it. I want to be, uh, I'm happy to start controversy. Um, John's also happy to start controversy. Well, let's have some hard discussions and, uh, 2023, let's go. We're, we're already halfway through, uh, no, we're more than halfway through January. So, uh, onward and upward again, like subscribe, visit our webpage, buy some swag. Deuces.